Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Elvin Taylor. Welcome and thank you for joining us today. The next hour is devoted to learning something more, not just about the world of shoes and sheeps and sealing wax, as my lovely bride likes me to say, but about how, what, and why we believe as we do. A time for the open-minded, willing to challenge some of those old ideas behind what we think we know, who we are, and who we might just become. I'm Eldon Taylor, at least I was last time I checked, and this is Provocative Enlightenment. All right, our chat room is open, and my partner, Ravinder, awaits you there now. You can log on by going to provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash chat. Don't forget the forward slash. We do have a great chat room, so Ravinder, as usual, why don't you tell us all about it? We have a great chat room, a great group of people, uh, lots of uh, tips and things that I learned from the chat room and from the people in there. So yeah, I'm always picking up um, extra tidbits that can be very practical, very inspiring. So if you come join us, you can participate too. But if you cannot uh, get online for any reason, maybe because you're driving or maybe because your boss doesn't like it, those silly bosses sometimes, uh, you can always go back and read the chat log afterwards because oftentimes we'll have the guest or one of their associates in there and they provide us with even more information. And we, as I said, we'll post everything right there in the chat room. So go check it out. That is provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash chat. All right. In this week's spotlight, I wish to discuss the idea of white crows. William James famously stated, paraphrased, if an axiom states that all crows are black, we need find only one white crow to disprove it. The relevance of this statement could have more meaning than in the area of human experience, particularly the realm of so-called supernatural. We live at a time when many hold science as a new sort of religion, one that has been unaffectionately referred to as scientism. According to these folks, the world of shoes and ships and sealing wax is reducible to evolutionary mechanics. We are but meat machines fooling ourselves into believing that there is such a thing as life after death, let alone a creator with a capital C. Everything is simply as it is because it is that way. No designer no afterlife, no such thing as supernatural, no miracles, and so forth. Further, this thinking also contends that we live in a reductionistic, materialistic world. Reductionism is the attempt to explain complex phenomena in terms of simple laws or principles, and materialism is the theory that every complex phenomenon can be explained by analyzing the simplest, most basic physical mechanisms that are in operation during the phenomenon. This philosophy is a form of philosophical monism which holds that matter is the fundamental substance in nature and that all phenomena, including mental phenomena and consciousness, are results of material interactions. Bottom line, this sort of thinking absolutely refutes any and all metaphysical claims. Now, as an aside, and necessarily so, scientism also offers us cultural relativity as our moral compass. Now, according to this view, whatever is approved in a culture is right according to that culture, and therefore the appropriate guidance for personal behavior. As such, if a culture finds it perfectly fine to marry off 12-year-old girls with or without their consent, then that's just how it is. If a culture finds honor killing appropriate, Why not? After all, it's their culture. So if we are to accept the principles of scientism, there is only right and wrong insofar as a culture dictates. Now, I find it noteworthy to point something out here. While many portend to hold the view of cultural relativism, let some culture decide to do away with a segment of their population such as we've seen with some of the genocidal activity in the past 20 or so years, and watch these very same folks cry foul. So how do they really believe this relativistic hogwash? 
I think that any view that narrowly defines the human experience to reductionistic, mechanistic models is obviously an attempt to insist that all crows are black. Accordingly, and again, we need but one white crow to demonstrate the ignorance of such a claim, and there are many. Nearly every person I have ever spoken with, by way of an example, has either experienced a miracle or knows someone who did. Indeed, my book, What Does That Mean?, is all about how everyday miracles literally guide us in our life's journey. Not only do they prepare us to accept a metaphysical reality, but additionally, they often guide us on our path. That said, perhaps that old saying, you'll see it when you believe it, has some bearing here. For when you are certain there is no such thing as miracles, no such thing as a possible interface of otherworldly with this world, well then maybe it's your conviction that will block your awareness. My thoughts anyway, what are yours, Ravinder? You know, there's a great deal to that. I think your book, uh, What Does That Mean?, really does highlight all the miracles that happened. I I know after you talked about, after the book came out and you were talking about it, it's amazing the number of people that came up to you and spoke of the miraculous things that had happened to them. But for some reason, we always tend to forget them. We need something to jerk the memories back up again. Okay. Every week I read some of your letters as our way of involving you while paying respect to the very important role you play in making this show successful. Last week our guest was Will Bowen and we discussed his book, A Complaint-Free World. Mary wrote, what a wonderful idea. I am beginning my complaint-free life today. By the way, how are you doing with your bracelet? I took it off. (laughs) (laughs) I have to... See, what what you realize is that you complain more than you think and then yeah i need to get it back on but i need to i need to do some mental adjustments first of all i have to confess it was like hmm how do you do this and make it work i think i think maybe most of us need the election cycle to be over to put those bracelets back on yeah yeah there we go there's my (laughs) excuse richard wrote self-calming i understand Zero acknowledgement acknowledgement of negatives is just delusional. Healthy? Well, we could sit at home and meditate 24-7 also. Realistic? I know someone who is absolutely chipper at all times under all circumstances. I find it very annoying. I find I most like people who are simply in the moment and real. I'd rather have someone say, it's nice to see you today than... I'm, I'm Richard, I'm going to attempt to put all the emphasis here for you that you have in your writing now. Then, I'm having a great day. <laughs> How about you? That puts me off. I feel that I'm expected to compete with their wonderfulness. <laughs> what do you think of that, Rev? Yeah, you know, I can relate to that stuff too. You know, when some people can be so over the top in trying to be positive... Yeah. Okay. A little bit. (laughs) CB commented, very interesting to take this idea to the global level. I am not sure if it is researched or just stuff on the Internet. But the idea that hurting, attacking, counterattacking populations labeled as terrorists only begets more terrorists. Real chicken-egg dilemma kind of stuff, especially when it appears that there is a very powerful interest in promulgating violence in the world for profiteering purposes. Moving on, Sholee wrote, just listened to your last radio show on YouTube, and I wanted to extend a letter of appreciation. Look forward to your interesting wide range of guests every week. Love it. Love my Intertalk CDs. Well, thanks, Sholee. And FL wrote, I've been using Intertalk subliminals for at least a couple of years now. I've tried many of your programs, but have found that soaring self-confidence and platinum plus bliss work the best for me and when used back to back. If I use only soaring self-confidence, I seem to become a little too defensive with people. And if I use only bliss, I become almost too nice or friendly, if that's possible. But using them together works really well for me personally. I use soaring self-confidence every day on my lunch break for about a year. That alone created a huge benefit for me. I became much more comfortable around people, less fearful, and now I have a far easier time conversing with them. 
Well, thanks for your feedback, FL, and I, too, combine programs in my everyday use. Uh, what are your thoughts on this one, Ravinder? I use the Inner Talk programs constantly. I hear some, you know, amazing stories from different people and some of the effects that they have. Um, you know, I've had someone report seeing auras after using both halves of the brain, and it's like, okay, that's not what it's for. But I think people just sometimes need a little nudge in certain directions. So, Do you think you can be too nice? Do I think you can be too nice? Yeah, I can. Yes, yeah. I do. When, when, it's not, when it's not genuine, when, it's, uh, when you allow people to walk over you, there are different instances where yeah, you have to keep really your own... Nice? I mean, yeah. letting them walk over you, that isn't really being... I mean, to me, being too nice is kind of like having too much fun, you know? How do you have too much fun? I think where I'm coming down to is the being sincerely nice and being um, overly nice or pretending to be nice, fooling yourself. All right. So, I'll accept that. Thank you. All right. That's all the time we're going to take for letters today. But I do invite you to opine by emailing me at Eldon, that's E-L-D-O-N, at eldentaylor.com or by joining me on Facebook. We sincerely appreciate your comments and feedback. Now to this week's show, When Heaven Touches Earth, with author Lisa McCourt. So let me tell you a little about today's guest. Her copy reads, Lisa McCourt is a best-selling author and ghostwriter currently specializing in expanded consciousness projects. In her own name, she's penned over three dozen books for both adults and children, that have sold over 7 million copies, among them the modern classic I Love You, Stinky Face, and its many sequels. Her books have won six publishing awards, been featured on Lifetime TV, Fox News, CNN, and PBS, garnered praise from over 200 viewers, and been translated, that's 200 reviewers, and been translated into 11 languages. On the secret side of Lisa's publishing past, she's been the silent ghostwriter for many prominent thought leaders, from New York Times best-selling authors to Emmy and Golden Globe-nominated Hollywood stars. A former popular CBS radio host and a frequent speaker at both writing conferences and self-growth events, she brings her passion and unique blend of skill sets to an eclectic career path that is ever mysteriously unfolding, just the way she likes it. Now, Lisa's been with us before, so let's get her in here. Welcome back to Provocative Enlightenment, Lisa McCourt. Thank you, Alvin. I adore you guys and just always love spending time with you. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's indeed my pleasure. And I, as you know, I love your book, Juicy Joy. I still <laughs> refer people to that book. It's just a fantastic book. Uh, but, you know, for those listeners that uh, you may be a new face to, we like to consider three things in our show, as you know. Who is a messenger? What is the message? And how do we use it? So to that end, Let's begin by having you tell us a little about yourself and why and when you became interested in writing. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Um, I just always felt that writing was the one thing I could do. <laughs> you know, when I was in school, I was a huge diary uh, keeper as a child, just throughout my whole young, young uh, childhood and adulthood. I, that was my sanity. Keeping a journal was how I sort of grounded myself and stayed safe in a, a world that didn't always feel safe to me. And so anything that you practice a lot, you've heard that, right? Anything that you spend enough hours on, you get better and better at. So I found in school that my writing assignments and my writing classes were always where I excelled. So I, I literally went out into the world thinking I have one superpower and I better milk it and just do anything I can with it because if it doesn't work, there's nothing else for me. <laughs> And I've since gained confidence in other areas, but um, but but yeah, just always loved writing. And my first jobs were in publishing, publishing in children's book companies primarily. So I started out my writing with kids' books and evolved into parenting books and young adult personal development and into personal development and ghosting. So now, did you keep all these diaries, Lisa? I did. I have all of them. It's painful painful to look back but i have sometimes just for for reference and especially when i was writing for younger people it's nice to go visit my younger self and see what my thoughts were during that time but if i put them all one on top of the other the stack is taller than i am it's a lot of material <laughs> most of it pure drivel <laughs> 
Now, my pretty princess, my bride, and I have been married over a quarter of a century, but you're basically a newlywed. You've just been married, well, not not quite two years, right? We're coming up on the second year, yep. Yeah, and so your husband is, he's going to be curious. I mean, anyone that, that, that loves you is going to be curious. Have you shared your diaries with him? No, he's never asked. <laughs> he's never asked. Well, if he's listening, I, I, I invite you to. I would. That's the first thing I'd want to know. Let me see those diaries. What were you writing about? Okay. You heard today's spotlight, Lisa. What are your thoughts on the materialistic, reductionistic perspective many, what I think of as siloistic scholars, are pushing today? Oh, my goodness. I had so many thoughts. I wish I had taken notes while you were talking about it. There were so many uh, moments I, I would have liked to have commented. I think that for people who are choosing that belief system, more power to them. If that's what they are choosing, then that's for sure what they're going to experience. They're not going to experience miracles. They're not going to have any sort of connection with, with divine or, or any other you know, people from other realms, because that's how we create our worlds is with our beliefs. So if somebody wants to choose that as their belief system, I have all respect for that. But, man, are they missing out. What what a gray existence when they could be living in technicolor. That's, that's just, you know, to each his own, Eldon. But you and I know there's a whole lot more out there. Okay. Well, now you say to each his own. I'm not sure about that. I'm going to try a hard one on you, okay? Go for it, yeah. Uh, there are many folks, New Agers today, if you will, and I will not name them, but I'm sure that you're familiar with it, that believe um, there's no such thing as an absolute right or wrong. Uh, everything is relative. In fact, maybe the bad guys, you know, the people we think about like Hitler, Mussolini, and on and on, well, they just made a deal on the other side to come here and be bad guys. They're really not bad guys, you know. Um and, and all of this feeds this cultural relativism argument. Uh, so my question to you is two-part. Well, the first is, what's your view on cultural relativism and the idea there is no such thing as a right and wrong per se? And, you know, assume that you do accept the notion of cultural relativism how do you feel about things like genocide being carried out on other groups when a culture decides that's the thing to do? I hear you, and, and you're just going right for the jugular, right, with the, the toughest question right off the bat. Because I, I know that that you feel that the way I feel that, and I think we're supposed to feel that. And I will expand a little bit on the what I what I interpret as the New Age view, and I don't know if this is purely, you know, what other New Age people would say, but when I go to that side of myself, the way that I see it, Eldon, is that there has always been suffering and there will always be suffering, and the way I create my reality, because I do believe we all create our reality, I believe in the whole, you know, holographic universe, Ken Wilber, David Bohm, the whole the whole thing, we all are creating the reality that we live in, so we do live in a reality where there is suffering. The way that I comfort myself with it, because I have to make it okay, because otherwise I'm pushing against it, and if I push against it, I'm adding energy to it. And when you add energy to anything, you just expand its presence. So the way that I can be okay with it is I think that all of humanity, all of us here, we are here to move in the direction of love, to move in the direction of expanded consciousness. That's and I, I can make a case that that's been the case since the beginning of time, that we are in a, a further along spot now on the spectrum of evolved consciousness and moving in the direction of love. And sadly, unfortunately, I think that human suffering is one of the tools that is used to expand us in that direction. If you think about why we're enraged when we find out about these genocides or when we see images, what it does is it triggers a wellspring of love for that person. It goes as, as simple as when the toddler falls down and you feel, oh, you rush to the toddler and you give extra love and you want to comfort the toddler. When we see abused animals, it triggers our love. And I think in a basically love-starved world, there is a place for suffering because it does 
stir up that love in the rest of us. And even in the person who is suffering, we know that the most compassionate people who have ever walked the earth are the ones who have gone through great ordeals and come out the other side. And because of their suffering, have compassion for others and have an expanded heart awareness and expanded love. So do the people who are suffering make that arrangement on the other side? I don't know. I've heard that, too. I don't know what goes on over there. I just know there is another side. I know that there is spirit that that continues before and beyond. We wear these meat suits you were talking about. So maybe that's what happens. Maybe over there there are these evolved beings who say, I'm going to go down there and I'm going to suffer, and my suffering is going to raise love in others and is going to evolve this this whole direction of humanity toward a more loving compassionate that view of course would incorporate the perpetrators of suffering so they're making the deal too and i guess here's where i'm going first of all we don't really create our reality we create our perception and our perception forms what we choose to see in the world that's what you mean by create reality right right we're not rearranging atoms and if it's outside right. our perception, it's not our reality, yeah. That's right. Okay, so but so here's my question. Let's just take, because I, I love what you say about love. When we see suffering, the love is evoked in us. I mean, we see an animal abused, and, and right away we have two kinds of feelings. One is that is so, so wrong. And the other one is how could you possibly do that? Is that not correct? Absolutely. Okay, now... <clears throat> then we're viewing a wrong. So if we're viewing a wrong, there's there's two questions that I have here. Should we do anything about it? Absolutely. And is it really wrong? No, that absolutely. I My perspective on maybe suffering is here to help the rest of us have that love stirred up. Absolutely, I think that we're supposed to do something about it. I think that's why why we're seeing it, so that we can build that love muscle in ourselves that we're going to go in there and do something about it. And to me, that's just part of the whole orchestrated plan, is that if nobody was ever suffering, then we, the ones who want to go in there and help wouldn't ever have that opportunity to build their own muscles in, in that way. So I think that's part of the whole puzzle that we're supposed to help. Right, so now I don't want to put words in your mouth, but if I understand you correctly, then, as far as you're concerned, there is a right and a wrong. This notion of cultural re- relativity, that it's okay, you know, for the man in Afghanistan who bought a 12-year-old or a 14-year-old bride who failed to please him to cut her ears and her nose off and throw her out to the stable, that's just unacceptable. It's not okay, even if the culture says so. I don't, again, want to put words in your mouth, but do you agree with that? I'd be interested to find if you found a guest that would go against that, that that's not okay. Yeah. No, I... Well, you know, I actually have had one such guest, and, 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 and the matter of fact is he argued very vociferously that... You know, uh, that's how it is. I mean, there is no such thing as an absolute right and wrong. Uh, everything is culturally predicated. And if the culture, if you're raised in a culture and this is the normal thing in the culture and you're just doing what the culture says, well, then, you know, it, that's, and we have no right to interfere with that. And uh, bad guys, well, they just chose to be bad guys on the other side. They came in here, so we shouldn't have any animus towards them. Uh, da 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 da. This is a very famous New Age. I'll put this word in quotation marks. Guru who took this position, I'm which is why I asked because I know you chewed him up. <laughs> I beg your pardon. So I want to listen to that replay because I know you chewed him up. <laughs> well, I, okay. <laughs> Moving on, Lisa. (laughs) In your new book, When Heaven Touches Earth, which is really what triggered today's spotlight, you begin with an introduction that I found very, very powerful. The reason for this book, what is that? Share it. I don't know that this is every contributor's reason for the book, but definitely the reason for the introduction that I was given the opportunity to write is I think a lot of people want miracles. They see a title like that, oh, a book about miracles. Oh, I want that because I want to, you know. And they think these are these strange one-in-a-million people who are having these miracles. And the whole point of the introduction is anybody can have them. You want them, you believe in them. 
it, it goes back to what I was saying a moment ago. I have become so clear and so certain, and I know we've talked about this other times I've been on your show, but it just becomes more and more apparent. We do create everything that happens to us. If you want miracles, all you have to do is believe in miracles. And I think a book like this really helps people who maybe want to, but I think we're all so afraid that we're going to look silly, we're going to be teased by our more logic-inclined friends if we say, you know, I think I believe in miracles. I think I believe that there's you know, a, a chance I could talk to my deceased loved ones, which is really what most of the stories in the book are about. It was set out just to be a book about any kind of miracles, and there are some that don't have to do with I'm going to hold you right there, Lisa, because we've okay. got a hard break coming up. But when we come back, we'll pick it up from there. We're speaking with Lisa McCord about her life and contribution to the new book, When Heaven Touches Earth. You can learn more about Lisa by visiting her website at lisamccord.com. Now, we have a video for you in our chat room today with Lisa addressing the subject of programming the universe to work for you. So if you're not in the chat room, now's the time to get over there. Okay, do please stay tuned. We'll be right back. You're listening to Provocative Enlightenment with Elton Taylor. Do you feel like you've become lost in the funhouse, only seeing the reflection of yourself, past, future, and present, but unable to find the real you? I invite you to step through the doorway and onto a pathway leading to understanding of your mind, your choices, and the influences that surround you. Read Eldon Taylor's New York Times best-selling book, Choices and Illusions. Now expanded, updated, and revised, it will provide you with real-life examples of how you can break free of your current perceptions and begin your journey to How High is Up. Get your copy today from all bookstores or online from Amazon.com or Barnes & Noble. Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Elvin Taylor. Welcome back. If you've just joined us, we're chatting with Lisa McCord about her life and contributions to the new book, When Heaven Touches Earth. You can learn more about Lisa by visiting her website at lisamccourt.com. That's Lisa, L-I-S-A, McCourt, M-C-C-O-U-R-T.com. 
Now we ask our guests for their favorite music, music that has some genuine significance to them. Music psychology is a new hobby of mine, and, um, you know, I'm apt to turn a lot of what we learn on this radio show into a book, because we have had some very interesting guests with some very interesting musical choices. And it's a field of research with practical relevance in many areas, including intelligence, creativity, personality, and social behavior. So on that, now we just played some of Shower the People by James Taylor. Lisa, why is this one important to you, and how does this inform us about who you are? That was like a really heavy description of like why a person would pick a song, but if I just liked it. (laughs) 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 I've picked a different song every time I've been on your show, because I have a lot of songs that I love, and this one is my ringtone on my phone, really to remind me, whoever is calling, shower them with love. I mean... Why not? The, this notion that people have to be lovable for us to love them or we have to wait for them to prove their lovability just robs us of the chance to love. So I just go showering that love out all over the place, no matter who's calling, telemarketers. I'm going to shower them with love because it feels good, and it's what we're here to do, and it helps get us where we want to go. You, you were know, looking for something deeper, weren't you? <laughs> no, 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 no. For people that don't know you, you know, that may may sound like uh, a cutesy answer, but the fact is that's who you are. I know that. I know. I mean, you are the Juicy Joey book. You exude it. Uh, Love walks in front of you in everything you do, and I think that was just a marvelous answer. I'll send you a bill for that commercial. (laughs) All right. Your book shares many stories that suggest heaven touching earth. What was your favorite? You know what, before I do that, I just want to make sure that I tell everybody, because I said that I would do this, about a telesummit that is going to have all of the authors from Heaven Touches Earth, Phoenix Rising Star, one of the authors has put it together, and you can find out about the summit if you go to whenheaventouchesearthsummit.com. No, I will send you a bill for that, because you're supposed to wait till the end of the show when I invite you to do all that. So I will invite you to do that again, so, you know, everybody gets a second chance. You're kind of fascinating, and you get me off on these, like, tangents, and I was afraid I'd get cut off. (laughs) It's October 24th, 28th, but you sign up for it sooner. Okay, I'm done. I won't plug anything else. Um, (laughs) No, you will, because I'll ask you again at the end, so people that didn't get that, because we were chatting back and forth, get another opportunity. So uh, tell me. Favorite story in the book? Oh, you don't put me on the spot like that. I'm not going to answer that. I'm not going to answer okay. that. Okay. All right. I'm going to make it easy for you. Tell, okay. Share with us two or three stories in the book that evidence miracles, heaven touching earth. Okay. I, I can do that. So um, I think a lot of them are about having lost someone dear to them. And, and being able to continue that relationship. I mean, if anything is going to cross the boundaries of the, the, the realms between here and whatever that other realm is, it's going to be love. I think love is, is the driving power that animates us and gives us life and, and is the thing that, if anything, is going to be strong enough to do it. It's love. And several of the stories, I can I kind of group them together this way, um, are about having lost a child which I think is, is probably the hardest loss anybody could possibly possibly survive, and how that child has come back and, and made contact with the parent, the grieving parent. And I know at least one of the stories, she, she even goes so far as to thank the child for dying because this experience that has just taken off for her since she began this cross-dimensional relationship has changed her life and changed her, the mom in hugely significant ways and you know of course she wouldn't you know have it happen that way again if she had the choice but because that did happen she's been able to build such a positive experience out of it that she is is thanking her daughter for dying that one was very touching for me um just to, to get away from the making connection with the afterlife stories there's one story about a woman who was um debating leaving her marriage, and, and of course that's a horrific time for anybody to, to go through when they're trying to make that decision, and that asked 
God to give her a sign about whether or not she should leave her marriage and actually heard the voice of God on the beach on this vacation that she had gone on with her husband saying, yes, leave your marriage, and didn't, didn't believe it, discounted it, and wrote it off, and later was in the, the water and just sort of brushed her hand against the sand and felt something pull her wedding ring off of her hand. And she called it a mermaid just because she felt like she saw a small female hand. But, you know, mermaid is just sort of the the word that she gave to it because it was some sort of a a creature that did not seem like a typical sea creature that you would find that actually pulled the ring off her hand. So that's one of the the kinds of miracles that are there. Um, There are so many great stories, and I don't want to give them away. People have to read the book. How about sharing your the story that you do in the book, All That Matters? Mm-hmm. That was a story that I shared with my grandmother. My mother passed away four years ago on my grandmother's 90th birthday. My grandma's about to turn 94. And uh, they were so tight. They, neither of them had had the husband around for a very long time, and they had been living together really like a, a married couple sort of situation. They did everything together. And losing her daughter was absolutely just crippling for this lovely 90-year-old woman. Um, I, we knew it was coming. My mom had been ill, so it wasn't like a surprise. And I had talked to my mom about, we're going to continue this relationship. This is not going to be the end of it. We are going to talk. We are, you know, I want you to, to, I want to hear your voice in my head. I want you to show me that you're around. And I guess because of the work that I do and the the social life that I have, I'm around people who believe in this sort of thing, it wasn't very hard for me to start establishing that relationship with my mom. I'm in contact with her all the time, and and she's done things that are are pretty incredible to let me know that she's there. My grandmother did not have that belief system. She's a Sunday school teacher, reads the Bible every morning, and I know that there are people who completely incorporate this whole metaphysical package into their Christian beliefs, but she wasn't quite there. She didn't see how that fit in with her faith. So I was just trying always to comfort her with the the things that I was experiencing and trying to encourage her to have this kind of relationship with her daughter because she was just couldn't move on with her life without that. And it just wasn't working. Nothing that I was bringing to her was really doing the trick. And we went on a trip together. She was invited to her great niece's wedding, my, my her youngest brother's daughter, or granddaughter, actually. And it was a long car ride, and my mom was just playing with us the whole way, and I could feel her, and I'm pointing all these things out, and she would just sort of tolerate me as I would point out that the the you know woman at the rest stop has a name tag with her name on it, and we go to dinner, and they bring my mom's favorite dish to the, the table accidentally. It was supposed to go to another table, and just lots of, of little coincidences. And we were at the wedding. We were getting ready for the wedding, and my grandmother is putting on her makeup, and she still does that really beautifully, and I'm watching her, and she realizes that she hasn't brought her lipstick, and she panics because here we're going to this formal event. She says, oh, I hate to go without my lipstick. Do you think we have time to, you know, you can go get me some? I said, it's going to be tight. Let me check. I ran to get my keys, and the sunlight coming in the window where I was staying at my uncle's home glinted off something in my suitcase that did not seem familiar, and I went to look closer, and it was a mirrored lipstick case. I don't wear lipstick. I've never worn lipstick. It's not anything I ever would have bought, but somehow it was in my suitcase, so I said, okay, we need lipstick. Here's lipstick. Let me bring it to her. I said, I'm sure it's all wrong, the wrong color, but just, you know, look at this. I found some lipstick. Could this possibly work? She says, that's my lipstick. That's my brand. That's my color. How did you, how did you, where did you get this? I don't know, it's in my suitcase, and I'm pretty sure it wasn't there when I packed my suitcase. I said, it must have gotten mixed up between our stuff. It must be yours. She said, no, my tube was almost completely gone. This is a, a brand-new tube. Where did this come from? And I just got chills all over my body. I, my, my mom was a fashionista makeup enthusiast, much more so than either her mother or her daughter, and she, to her, lipstick with oxygen is just, you know, you must have lipstick. And I had never experienced... Apports. I think that's what James Bimprog calls them. I don't even know if I'm saying that word right, but that's supposedly where you know a spirit can make something physical happen on this plane. Right. I had never experienced that, but I felt like that's what it was. And we still don't know what it was. My uncle is widowed. There's no woman at his house that it could have fallen in my suitcase from, you know, unless it had been his late wife somehow and gotten in my suitcase. We don't know. But that was the most dramatic of what I consider to be my mom's intervention on this realm from the other realm. 
And I was afraid to say to my grandmother what I thought it was, but I didn't have to. She knew. She felt her. She started crying. She said, it's Betty, isn't it? I feel her here. I feel her presence. And I said, I believe it is. And she's been a believer ever since. And now we find our signs together, and we enjoy this person that we both love so much together. And that's but one of 28 stories in this book by 28 different authors. And uh, they're very moving stories, all of them. Uh, pets have an afterlife, Lisa? I'm sorry? Do pets, pets have an afterlife? Oh, do pets have an afterlife? I think so. Why not? I mean, I, I've heard lots of mediums say that, 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 that a pet will come through. I've been in a lot of galleries just because these are the circles I run in, and it's cool stuff, and I love it. And a lot of times I'd hear Baron Reed or, or one of my other medium friends say, you know, I, I'm, I'm feeling... A particular kind of dog and describe it and like oh that was my dog so yeah I think so okay Kim Sheridan and the reason I, I asked is Kim Sheridan tells a story about uh, a woman who's lost her dog and she brings a medium and there are many stories in your book about medium uh, ship and, and again I don't want to give away everything that's in your book uh, we want people to go get your book but uh, this medium tells the woman who lost the dog all these things about the dog, and the woman suddenly looks at her and says, you could just be making that all up, telling me that the dog is fine on the other side, da 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 What's the evidence? And the medium paused for a minute and says, well, your dog is saying you used to have this stuffed animal in the chair that, that uh, you sat down with when you were knitting, and I was jealous of it. And so when you weren't looking, I took it, and I took it out back and buried it under that big old rose bush that you don't like that's so thorny. So they immediately got up, went outside with their shovel, and they dug up this stuffed animal right there where this medium had said it is. Now, those are the kinds of stories that are in your book, and they're the kinds of things that they give you goosebumps. They... They do. It is an example of heaven touching earth, is it not? Absolutely. I must ask you, whose idea was the book? I believe it originated with the publisher. With you know, I, I, I don't know if I'm supposed to say this. But I think it was Jacob Nordby's. He's one of the authors in the book, and maybe not. Maybe it was Randy Davila, the publisher at Hierophant. But I think I think Jacob came up with it. Yeah, it was a great Jacob idea. The marketing director for Hierophant. What made you want to work on it? I love the people involved, and that's always a, a big plus for me with a project. And I do feel that it's a book that offers people the opportunity to give in to something that maybe they feel in their heart they know but are afraid to express. And anything that helps sort of evolve the consciousness of humanity, evolve People Toward Love is a project that I'm at least interested in entertaining, and I, I feel that it does that because people who want miracles, I think this book helps them to get in position to receive miracles. Don't you think that that kind of thinking, I mean, that, that spending a few minutes with a book like this just kind of, you know, removes the fog that's going on in the political world today. I mean, we're inundated 24-7 with just pure negativity. I mean, it's guttural on on both sides, you know. Um, is that, I mean, how do you stay positive during this and when, uh, all of what's going on in the media right now? Yeah, that is, that is really hard. I mean, I, I watch for five minutes and I feel like I have to go take a shower. It's, it's hard to watch. It's brutal. But I try to pull back into a broad perspective and just see this as the destruction and the falling apart that is necessary for something new to grow. I, I look at it in terms of shadow work. If an individual is in a place in their life where just nothing is working and they're stuck and everything feels kind of icky and corrupt and bad, you almost have to usually hit a rock bottom. You have to hit some really powerful uh, ickiness in order for that shadow to come up. And that's how people get such great results when they do shadow work. Shadow is in an individual. It's all of the, the parts of us that we don't want to look at, don't want to own the, the pettiness, the sinisterness, that once it's brought up into the light, once we can say, yep, that's part of me, that's there, I see it now, that's there, that's when we can start mending it. And I feel like on a national level, our country's shadow is just popped right up there for everyone to see, and it's it's 
so embarrassing and, and, and it's hard to look at. But only by unearthing that shadow and bringing it up can we now sort of accept, yeah, this is, <laughs> this is a big part of our country, obviously. It's, it's a you know, large number of people are, are involved in this bickering and, and this really you know, hateful, contentious way that we're conducting this. So I think that we'll get sick enough of it by the time this election is finally over that we'll, we'll all sort of be in the place where we want to see something different evolve and something new and maybe some mechanisms will break down, maybe some systems will break down so that better systems can come into place. I mean, that's really the only bright side I can see to it. I, I think that both candidates have plenty of things to like about them, but nobody is paying attention to that because the whole campaign is about making sure that you don't vote for the other person instead of here's what I have to offer. And I, I just feel that the only way to make a decision is to put all of the negativity out of your mind and look at what do I like about this candidate? What do I like about that one? And which one gives me the better feeling? And even as you say, Elvin, even listening to what they're going to do or what they're promising is we're so manipulated. Everybody's so manipulated by which channels they watch and, and, and which, you know, feels they hear that I don't even think you can really go by that. I think you have to go with your gut. You have to just, I think the most powerful thing that anybody can do this election cycle is hold a vision for the kind of country you want, the kind of world you want, the kind of governmental body you want, and just hold that vision. And then, yeah, maybe go vote because you'll tap into your heart and see which candidate you feel is most in alignment with your vision and you'll vote for that candidate. But I think that we really cast our votes with the energy we put out in the world. And all of this focus on all of the, the baggage with both of them is not going to further our country, not going to further the things that we want all the abundance, all the prosperity, all the better lives that, that we collectively as a nation want, I think it's there for us. It's there you know, for us to have once we get in receiving mode, but we're not in receiving mode because the, the extremes of both of these political parties have just created the, the quintessential boogeyman of the fears of the Democrats and the quintessential boogeyman of the fears of the Republicans, which we've created because we create everything. So collectively our fears have done this. And we have to recognize that and take responsibility for that so that we can create something different. And I think the only way to do that is just focus on what we want, focus on the kind of government we want. Two greatest forces in the world, fear and love. Absolutely. How do you, how do you love away the fear? I mean, a lot of people just dig in. I mean, they're dug in. They're not interested in anything. They they know what is right, and maybe they're right, and maybe they're not right. But how would you counsel someone to counter the negative feelings that swell up because they are so dug in? I think that you always have to first accept them because they're, they always come bearing gifts. All of our anxiety, our, our fears, our depression is there for a reason. So you look at it and, and you say, well, what is it that, that I'm so afraid of? And you acknowledge that it's all of the, the thoughts that you've been having that have put this thing in your life right now, whatever it is that you're afraid of, you've created that with your fears and with your, the, the thoughts, the things you were focusing on. And then I think it's really about building a muscle because whatever our dominant energy is in our energy field, that's where we're going to suck to. That's like the, the lowest level that the, everything's going to roll toward. That's the comfortable place. So if you've been in a predominantly negative state, it takes really purposeful looking at what else could I give my attention to? What is good here? What is positive here? Let me see if I can really force myself to focus on the positive, or let me look at this bad thing and say, what is this contrast showing me? This is showing me what I don't want. So what would the opposite of that be? Thank you, contrast, for showing me what I really want, which is the opposite of this. Let me focus my attention on that. And that's when the first little baby step toward moving in that direction might surface. And you take that little baby step, and then you just have to stay focused there until the next step surfaces. And it can take a while to turn it around if you've been mired in negativity. But I think it's just a muscle that you build because then you start seeing in your life, oh, wow, focusing over here really has made some great positive changes. And that gives you more incentive and more inspiration to want to keep pointing toward the positive and, and focusing on whatever little glimmers of hopefulness you can. Okay, so the takeaway, love is a muscle. We need to work on it. All right, Lisa, I promised you this. In about one minute, 
tell uh-huh. our audience how they can learn more about you, how they can get your books, where they can attend or tune in to When Heaven Touches Earth uh, webinar or whatever it is that you're doing there. Share your commercial. Okay. You can find out about me at lisamccourt.com. I mostly ghostwrite, but I, I feel that I'm moving in the direction of other consciousness raising projects now. I might not just write or I might not just ghost anymore. So I'm in a really open space for receiving new kinds of things that just help me make a difference on this planet. And you should definitely go to whenheaventouchesearthsummit.com and you'll connect with Phoenix Rising Stars there who will let you know how to listen to all of the authors on this amazing telesummit, which will take place between October 24th and 28th. So you can go there sooner to register. There's all kinds of prizes and, and gifts and stuff like that. Cool. Now, Lisa, one last thing, one last question. You used to teach writing courses. Do you still do that? Do you still counsel people that want to be writers? Nothing is uh, showing up that way right now in what I have going on. It's not something I rule out. It's just something that comes up from time to time. Oh, wait, I think I am doing a children's writing course this summer for Hierophant. I just remembered. I don't think there's anything (laughs) you can sign up for yet, but kids writing with Hierophant this summer. Go to our website, visit it, and you'll find more details. That's lisamccourt.com. Lisa, I want to thank you for your willingness to share so openly with us today and for all of the work that you do do. Well, we've come to the end of another episode of Provocative Enlightenment. I want to thank all of you for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed our show, and will join us again next week, same time and same place. And do tell your friends, let's have them join us as well. Okay, until next time, wherever you are in the world, remember... Believing in yourself always matters. Provocative Enlightenment has been brought to you by Progressive Awareness Research and other sponsors. Provocative Enlightenment is a syndicated show and appears on other networks. For a schedule of showtimes, visit ProvocativeEnlightenment.com. If you're interested in becoming a sponsor, write to Eldon at EldonTaylor.com.